This is Science Moab, a radio show exploring the science and learning about the scientists from the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina, and on today's show, we are talking about what happens after high-severity forest fire and what researchers and land managers are doing to try to manage the post-fire impacts. It's a good show. Stay with us. That ability to say, oh, this is what somebody did, and this is the outcome that nobody expected, you know, that adding grass would add a bunch of moss as well, was just a really, um, a really interesting and exciting event for me, and a really, a really cool way to experience kind of land management. Today on Science Moab, we are talking about what happens after fires. As both the fire season and the amount of fire continues to increase in the Southwest, researchers and managers are working to figure out the best ways to reduce the sometimes incredible amounts of erosion that happen after wildfires. We speak with Henry Grover, who is a PhD student at Northern Arizona University. There he studies the native mosses that can colonize hill slopes after severe fires. His work explores both the ecology and application of these mosses as a way to restore burned areas. We begin our interview with Henry explaining the different types of fires that exist on the landscape. There's a lot of different types of wildland fire. You can have a low severity fire, which is really more of a surface fire that travels along um, even in a forest, we'll travel on along in the understory and create really beneficial impacts for the ecosystem. It helps with nutrient cycling and thins out small forest trees that would encroach on the grasses and a lot of the plants that are super helpful for wildlife or the ecosystem in general. And then they've been trying to actually do a lot more burning at mixed severity, which is both low and high severity where trees are dying in some patches, they're getting burned in some patches, even really big trees. Also, they're, they're not dying everywhere. You're not getting these huge patches where all the trees, thousands of acres, contiguous acres, where uh, all the trees are dead in one location. And then high severity fire is, is that exactly where you have a lot of trees all burning at once in this massive flaming front that carries through. It's a crown fire where the fire's burning really everything from the soil severely to the, uh, to the trees. Only really certain species that can re-sprout after those fires survive. And so when you say fires in the Southwest are increasing, is there a certain type of severity of fire that is also increasing or is it just fires in general? It's kind of an active area of research. There's Definitely anecdotal evidence that there's a lot more high severity fire. I think what's really a good distinction to make for a lot of land made by a lot of land managers is the size of high severity. So instead of having areas where, you know, five acres burns at once in high severity, 
which is really not that big of an issue because there's a lot of living trees and grasses and wildlife around it that can recolonize that area. But if you have, uh, you know, a location like the Las Conchas fire that happened in the Jemez Mountains in uh, 2010, there's definitely patches in there that were so large that you can't even see a live tree. You know, if you're standing on top of a mountain, it's just dead trees everywhere you look. And so that creates a much different situation where the landscape can't easily colonize those burned areas and the recovery is much slower. I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, though, that fire has always been a part of these systems in the Southwest. Definitely. Yeah. So historically, down in Flagstaff, where I'm from, there was a lot of ponderosa pine forest that is characterized by a low severity fire regime. And that means fire comes through at pretty frequently, you know, five to 20 years or so, and burns just the understory and the trees all survive. The really big old growth ponderosa pine trees all survive. But then in upper montane areas, like on the San Francisco peaks or even in the LaSalle mountains, it's more of a infrequent higher severity fire regime where you see turn interval of maybe a couple hundred years. It burns every 200 years or so. The actual severity of that fire, because there was so much time in between when the last fire occurred, there's so much more fuel built up and you get a much, much higher severity. Everything kind of burns all at once in these really big, infrequent events. And so why has the frequency area and potentially severity of fires in the Southwest been changing? The major reason is due to fire suppression in the Southwest. In the late 1800s, the Forest Service created a policy of trying to put out every single fire and became more and more successful at that as technology increased and our ability to get to fires quickly. They actually have had a policy and maybe it's still in place where the plan is to have every fire out by 10 a.m. the next morning after they see it. It's really much more effective to fight fires in the evening and in the morning when it's cooler and there's a lot less fire activity. And so they've successfully suppressed fires for so long that there's been a huge buildup in fuels. And so fires are really interesting phenomenon in nature because it's self-limiting. Because fire reduces the fuel load, if you suppress it, you're not actually going to decrease the amount of fire that happens on that landscape. You're just going to really push it further into the future. By putting out fires right now, we've allowed the forest to become overgrown and increase the propensity for high severity fire that we're seeing now. That's also coupled with climate change. There's some really interesting articles that have come out that show, especially in the northwestern U.S., but also here in the southwest, increase in temperature as well as uh, the droughts that we see has really led to more high severity fire. These longer droughts and much hotter temperatures that we're seeing earlier on in the season is just a really good example of how the potential for a year-round fire season is really increasing in the Southwest. Some of the land managers I work with have already been out 
examining a fire that happened. I think it started sometime in late April and it burned in quite high severity down right off the Mogollon Rim in Arizona. And fire season really used to start in May and and sometime in mid-May. And the fact that they're seeing these fires happening at high severity at that time of year is a really interesting change. What happens to a forest in the Southwest immediately after a high severity fire? Severe fires, they consume a lot of the surface fuels as well as the trees. Um, And then they also burn down into the soil. So a lot of the roots, a lot of the fine roots that grasses have and even trees have get consumed often by a high severity fire. And that can really change the landscape of the erosivity of that soil. So there's also a phenomenon where a lot of the waxes and vegetation that end up getting volatilized by the fire. So they combust and a lot of it you see going off as smoke, but actually a good portion gets forced into the soil itself. And you see a lot of increase in this layer where water won't be able to actually penetrate through that layer because of the water repellent properties of that layer. And so that really ends up being an issue in the Southwest, particularly because we have really high intensity rainstorms when the monsoon comes directly following fire season. And we see some of the most intense rains actually in the entire world directly after these fires. And it can really increase the amount of erosion that occurs on the landscape. Burned areas in our backyard in Flagstaff, we had the Schultz fire. And directly after that, there was a 20-year storm where a massive amount of rain fell right on that burned area. The runoff and the erosion was actually two orders of magnitude, so 100 times greater than you'd see regularly from that burned area. It's a really huge issue, especially for communities that are connected with the forest that are just downstream of forested regions in the southwest. You can have issues that are associated with the fire, but they're really much more associated with the post-fire landscape than the actual burning itself. So what does the Forest Service do after a fire? The Forest Service is tasked, and the National Park Service as well, and the BLM, are all tasked with a program called Burned Area Emergency Response. And that program is outlined to prevent further damage. So after the fire is out, they are tasked with emergency response and rehabilitation of the landscape to try to prevent loss of life, to try to prevent damage to both cultural resources, natural resources, as well as to prevent damage to infrastructure, important infrastructure that was saved in the fire but could potentially get destroyed by a flooding event or an erosion event. It's usually the soil scientist or a hydrologist on the National Forest who goes out into the burned area and explores the burn severity. So they're specifically interested in soil burn severity, which is the amount of combustion that occurred in the soil and the, um, the impacts the fire had on the soil surface. And the soil scientists explore the whole entire landscape of the fire, but they have to 
put out a report in less than 10 days after the fire is 100% contained. So it's an incredibly intensive and fast situation. With the help of satellites, they actually fly satellites over burned areas specifically to collect data to be able to scale the measurements that they're taking on the ground to the entire fire. It allows them to say, these watersheds were burned severely, these watersheds were burned less severely. And then they they look at how the burn severity is connected to the values at risk. So that's people's livelihoods, infrastructure, plants, you know, endangered species that could be affected by post-fire runoff. And then they recommend treatments or no treatment action that happens in a really incredibly fast time frame and say, this is where we think rehabilitation needs to occur or this location, this watershed is probably going to erode, but not in a way that we're really worried about in terms of values at risk. So after <clears throat> the severity and the response needed to a fire is determined, what is the Forest Service and all these other agencies doing to stabilize these slopes? So they really have a couple of different options uh, as part of their toolkit. The one really big predictor of post-fire erosion and runoff is the amount of soil surface that is exposed, bare soil surface that is exposed. Anything that will increase that rapidly is super valuable. They end up mulching. It's, it's an incredibly expensive treatment that they're employing, but they end up mulching either with straw mulch or with wood shreds to try to create soil surface cover, which quickly reduces erosion. In the Southwest, they still seed a lot with non-native grasses, actually. They're really fast growing, like a barley or a wheat grass. They grow so quickly that they decrease the amount of rain splash that can actually hit the bare soil surface. You know, I don't think they really work at a time scale of that first monsoon season, but once they grow a little bit, they can really stabilize hill slopes. Can you tell me about how your research that you're working on with fire mosses relates to these burned area emergency response actions? Yeah, so my research really focuses on both applied and basic science, looking at mosses that colonize severely burned landscapes. So I am using our greenhouse to grow these mosses, trying to potentially see if they're a good tool. I'm taking them and putting them on the landscape, the greenhouse grown mosses, to see if they can stabilize soil. Moss grows in a very different way than vascular plants grow. It aggregates soil super well. It grows in a carpet, so it can really stabilize more soil per biomass than a vascular plant can. And then also, it's a really understudied phenomenon, especially in the Western United States. The mosses I work with are cosmopolitan. They grow everywhere. Uh, they're, they're found on six continents. There's actually been some studies looking at moss in Australia, but they're also common in burned areas here in the United States. So I'm exploring kind of where and when the mosses colonize those burned landscapes and at what cover. We're really interested in seeing 
the function that they add to a burned landscape and how quickly that function is added. So if they come in directly after, you know, directly during that first monsoon season and can really stabilize a lot of soil quickly and decrease erosion and runoff, then they're a really valuable tool, both naturally and potentially as a burned area emergency response treatment. It's still really early. So kind of looking at this combination of actively restoring and then the natural recovery is is where we're at in terms of just the science that I'm doing personally. Tell me about how you study mosses in the field and what kind of experiments do you do to see how well these mosses do after fire? We've been looking at many different fires because we're interested in the southwest region. We've been looking at older fires, you know, fires that occurred actually not that old, like 2010, to really new fires. Months after the fire, we go in and, and look at the moss cover there. And we're actually using a bunch of soil stability and infiltration measuring tools. We're looking at how the bare soil, the soil that hasn't been colonized by moss, relates to the the moss-covered soils. We've seen about a 100% increase in soil stability and infiltration, as well as soil shear strength, which is another metric of erosion resistance on moss-covered soils versus bare soils. So it's promising. It really shows that the moss does a good job of, of stabilizing the community and increasing infiltration, which is super important for reducing the amount of water that's running down a hill slope causing erosion. Is this just one species of moss, or are you talking about different kinds of mosses? Yeah, it's really interesting. There's three different species of mosses, and they're really not specific to burned areas. They just really love disturbed areas in general. So it's Funaria hygrometrica, Ceratodon purpureus, and Bryum argentium. And Bryum's actually pretty common in the desert here in, in Moab. The question of them being native is really cool because mosses reproduce and my mosses in particular these these disturbance loving mosses reproduce via spores and spores you know if you've ever seen a little i don't know like flamingo bee growth coming out of a moss that's actually the sporophyte growth and it's releasing these propagules that can be blown around throughout that upper atmosphere they can travel from china in big storms across the Pacific Ocean and be deposited here in the, in North America and vice versa. So they're actually a native species pretty much everywhere on the globe. Bryum argentium is specifically, and as well as Ceratodon, are both seen in relatively high cover in certain areas of Antarctica. I would say in some ways they might be the most widespread plants on the planet. Based on what you've seen in the field and what you've seen growing these mosses in the greenhouse, I mean, it sounds like it's very early still, but what is your impression? Are these going to be another tool that can be used after these big high-severity fires in the Southwest? I think it's really too early to tell still. Because they're so widely distributed and it's so easy for them to colonize, already it's very easy for them to go places where they actually will do well. 
for a restoration purpose, I think, by growing them and putting them on the ground, you're trying to address a propagule limitation. You know, you're trying to put moss where it wouldn't make it. I think that potentially could could not be that big of an issue because of how widespread these species are and how easy it is for them to move around and colonize burned landscapes, even these vastly burned landscapes that are really so big that it's hard for other seeds or animals or anything to get into them. But in terms of just the natural ecology of them, they're so understudied in terms of this phenomenon where you see, you know, in certain areas, we've seen moss that's over 70% cover. So it's a dominant piece of the burned landscape. And so just understanding where and when that might occur, I think is really valuable because if that happens, there's really not a huge need to implement these really expensive restoration treatments and, you know, and spend money doing pre-fire fuel thinning or, or something else that would decrease the amount of high severity fire on the landscape. But that being said, I think there's really is potential. I think in terms of the longevity of certain treatments, so straw mulching in, in particular is uh, a treatment where they put it down and it blows away or it decomposes relatively quickly. It's only there for a year or two. And if you could put down moss propagules at the same time, maybe the mulch would really stabilize soil in the short term and the moss would stabilize soil and really increase fertility in the long term. These are all ideas that haven't been tested. And so it's really an open book in terms of how moss could be used as a restoration treatment. But we have had some success in the field. You know, the, the survivorship of especially Bryomar gentium has been quite high on some of our initial field trials. And so it seems like these species could definitely be restored if we choose to use them in that way. What got you interested in studying fire mosses? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, I was a technician here in Moab at the USGS for a few years before going into my PhD work in, in FLAG. And the just the ability for something so small to really do a lot more on the landscape than people perceive it possible. And just the kind of idea of looking at something that had never really been examined in detail before. I like to, you know, as a restoration ecologist, I feel like there are many different possible solutions to a problem. And looking at something that we really haven't examined at all before was a really exciting thing for me, a really exciting idea. And having a background already and understanding biological soil crusts from working here in Moab was really a good way to try to see the fire moss situation through the lens of the vast amount of research that's done here in Moab at the USGS. What do you enjoy about being a scientist? I think the, the most enjoyable part is the interaction with people who are on the ground. You know, the, the burned area emergency response team who has to actually go out there when the fire occurs and make a decision they they need somebody who can give them a base of knowledge to make a really well-informed decision and it was really cool i um 
you know, right when I started, I started talking to a hydrologist on the Gila National Forest who had seen a lot of moss colonize a landscape where they had seeded grasses. And he thought that, you know, the grass had created this perfect little microclimate for the moss to grow. And it was actually the moss that was holding all the soil together where they saw it. And so that ability to say, oh, this is what somebody did. And this is the outcome that nobody expected, you know, that adding grass would add a bunch of moss as well was just a really, um, a really interesting and exciting event for me and a really, a really cool way to experience kind of land management. So my whole career, I think, is going to be based around helping managers manage the landscape better. Well, Henry, thank you so much for this interview. It's been really cool to hear about your work. Thanks so much, Christina. Theme music for our show is by Jeremy Spaulding. Funding is provided by BYU's Charles Red Center for Western Studies. And the show is produced by Christina Young and KZMU.